Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brennan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, and I really admire you for always leading us in. I just want you to know, I feel like I get the easy job of being like the snarky one after. Oh, and I'm here. Yeah. Oh, is it me? Yeah, exactly. So I just want you to know I appreciate it. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, That that means so much. We wanted to open up this episode with an update on a thing that we ended the last episode with. So this is like a direct sequel to last week's episode, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) As if the other episodes haven't been direct. Anyway, I have finished Yakuza Kiwami and I am now playing Yakuza Zero and you have started Yakuza Kiwami. Yeah, I am about, I would say, two to three hours in. I've experienced the mirror origin story that Ichiban has. Yes. So for, for context, I've only played Like a Dragon all the way through. Which is Yakuza 7, to be clear. It's the, mo- it's the most recent entry in like the mainline Yakuza series. We talked about it and loved it. What was that, two years ago, I guess, at this point? Yeah, in 2020. That game is largely introducing a new protagonist for the first time in a very long time in the series. I guess other than Judgment, but that's more of a spinoff. Like, yeah. Yakuza 7 is like, here is the new face of Yakuza. Right. It's Ichiban. We love him. Uh, he sees the world as if it's Dragon Quest. Just incredible. Yeah. And they really, I mean, without spoiling, they really go out of their way to show him as a kind of reflection of Kiryu, the protagonist up until seven. Mm -hmm. Even their suits are like the inverse of each other. You know, uh, Kiryu has a white jacket with a red undershirt. Uh, Ichiban is the opposite. Also, Ichiban's suit is like... He just wears the same suit the whole game, so it's like filthy. Yeah, it like gets like more game. and more disgusting as the game goes on, and like <laughs> as people like slice him with katanas and stuff, he just like puts duct tape over bits to like patch it up. It's incredible. He's incredible. Yeah. So I played that game. So I, and I was like, wow, the opening of that game is especially strong. Like the introduction of that character and the inciting event of the game is really, really cool. Like enough to just sell you on the game itself. Yeah. Not realizing that is just essentially what happens to Kiryu as yeah. well uh it's sort of like if I saw Force Awakens I was like wow what a cool plot structure <laughs> and then I saw a New Hope <laughs> but uh I mean it's different enough and it's also cool to see where they made changes the biggest of course is that Kiryu has the respect and admiration of everyone around him and Ichiban has none of that yeah well it's it's actually probably worth mentioning going like uh, or at least going one step further into this so I, I think one of the reasons that I wanted to go back and play the original series or like go from the beginning and, and play through all of them was once I got far enough into seven, I noticed that there were some things that felt like they should be like applause breaks because of references yeah. to things that I didn't have any context for. I was like, oh, I should go back and check it out. And I had the same experience as you when I started Kiwami. I was like, oh, my God, these characters start in the same way. It's just that Ichiban's story, I think, ends in what feels like a more what feels like a more like almost realistic avenue like what happens with Ichiban is he decides to take the fall for a murder for somebody else in the family and then gets sent to prison with the I guess like hope wish dream and a little bit of a promise from somebody in the family that when he gets out he'll be like well respected and he'll you know be working his way up the ladder and people will be so grateful for him for giving up literally 10 years of his life and living them in prison to take the fall for a crime he didn't commit um, and he's like I will do that willingly because I care so much about the family and I feel so strongly about this that like this is a good life decision for me. So he goes and does it and comes out <laughs> and literally everyone has forgotten about him. His family has essentially dissolved um, and he's like a nobody and no one will let him into any other family. So he's just essentially like an outcast. And 
it's a wild story from that point on. Kiryu starts almost the same way where he takes the fall for a murder that he didn't commit as well and goes to prison for 10 years and comes out and everyone's like, you're so fucking cool. We love you so much. so fucking cool. Yeah, exactly. And if people don't like him and challenge him to a fight, they immediately think he's cool after. They're like, thank you for beating me up. I get it now. Like, you're so fucking cool. So yeah, I mean, and I think you're right. Like, I think Kiryu is... In some ways, a commentary, but also very much born out of the early 2000s power fantasy of games. Like, I think you can make a lot of comparisons to GTA. We've yeah, talked about totally. that. There's a lot of really thoughtful. Uh, there's a great video essay from Super Eye Patch Wolf about this Yakuza as a series. And it goes a little bit into like how the series was pitched and when it was pitched. There's a lot of really interesting threads there with like Yakuza as a series compared to GTA is much more about living in a place and like getting to know that place well whereas GTA you're just sort of mindlessly destroying everything around you yeah they both had this this pitch of like oh there's this city that you can do anything in but in Yakuza you actually despite being you know a violent game you can't hurt anyone outside of like a fight right you know and that specific essay that I highlighted goes a lot into like why that does such a good job of like avoiding the problem a lot of open world games have or like what you do as a player versus who the character is don't always match yeah ludo narrative dissonance steven <laughs> right in our podcast but it's also like you know <laughs> as, as silly as a lot of the side quests are and as like funny as the game can be outside of the main story it, it always still feels like it's something that the protagonist would do right right um, yeah you have to think about the verbs that the player is given right and and i feel like um that, that video does a great job of highlighting this one specific moment in watchdogs where it shows like aiden pierce in his iconic hat uh just like ripping down the street of what city was that do you remember was that like i think it was chicago it was i think it was chicago i think you're right yeah yeah just like ripping down the street of chicago hacking all of the street lights and just causing all of these car accidents so he can like stumble out of the car and then like cry in front of a tombstone because somebody he knows died (laughs) and like the game tries to make you feel bad for aiden it's like dude i just killed like 30 to 40 people in car crashes on the way over here. I don't feel bad for yeah. this man. And that's like such a common thread in these kinds of games. Um, and totally the verbs in Yakuza are have somebody pick a fight with you. You're never really looking for it or bowling <laughs> karaoke. Yeah. Yeah. Et Having fun living in the city. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to something we talk about all the time. where like games that let you have that purposeful downtime. You end up getting so much more attached to the character. Yeah. You know, I think Persona is always the example of like, we care about fighting God and like fighting demons in a bad guy's head because we've been able just to like play billiards together at a jazz club. You know, right. like we get those like seemingly innocuous moments that actually do feel more relatable to us as like people who are not in this fictional world. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that video also goes into, I won't say too much more about this, but like, I think it's really interesting, especially as we are slowly but surely preparing for our Dreamcast episode. There's a lot about like where Sega was at when Yakuza came to be. And like, weirdly is kind of a flip of Shenmue. Right. Which is a game that I think has influenced Yakuza as well, where like the creator of Yakuza essentially walked into Sega in front of all the higher ups and was like, if this game isn't a hit, I will resign because no one wanted to to produce Yakuza at the time. Right. Um, whereas Shenmue was this project that was like showered with money as a, how much money can we give you? Yeah. Yeah. For the Dreamcast. All that aside, I think like going back to Kiryu and Ichiban's story, I think a really important distinction there is like Kiryu chooses to take the fall 
whereas Ichiban is asked to. And while mm. he does so obediently, I think that's a very important distinction. Of yeah, like, yeah. And that goes back to like their status as characters. But anyway, all that to say, I do think Yakuza Like a Dragon is actually one of the good entry points into the series from what little I've played. But it, like you said, there is a point where you're going to feel the audience applause character entrances where like maybe I should go back. So right. one day we'll have like the perfect machete order for like how to consume Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think I think there's always going to like I think it's it seems like zero Kawhi and like a dragon are like the points to enter the series right but they all come with some kind of caveat of like you know it will be better if you know this so there's always going to be a degree of like i don't know everything yet but i'll get there eventually yeah honestly so since talking about it in the last episode there's been a lot of conversation about it in the discord i've actually talked to a lot of people i know who are big fans of yakuza also in the past week um and I feel like there's just really like no concise entry point, even though Yakuza 0 was created as the entry point. It's like a little bit less clear than I think it should be if it actually is or not. I will say this just completely going off on a whim and like trying this weird thing and maybe ruining both games for myself. Going <laughs> going from Kiwami to Zero, I, I just kind of had a hunch that I was going to enjoy that more than if I went Zero to Kiwami because I had tried Zero a while back. For those of you who don't know, Zero is a prequel to the first Yakuza game that they made in, I guess that was 2015. As a new entry point for the franchise, it takes place in the 80s. You're playing as Kiryu in Kamurocho in 1988, I believe. Uh, it's like right when he's like pretty early in the Yakuza. He's like low on the on the totem pole. He's like not the Kiryu that you know and love yet. And when I played that game for the first time, I was like, I don't understand really who this character is. I don't understand why everybody likes him so much. I didn't, I didn't really get the game. It didn't really, it felt to me like there were a lot of moments where there were things I should have known already, even though this is supposed to be the entry point. Weirdly enough, I found that Kiwami gave me a better sense of what Yakuza was all about much faster. Here's the thing about Yakuza 0. If you're going to start with that, play, I would say, five hours of it. And I know that's like a big ask because that's that's five hours. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I think Kiryu doesn't become the character that people talk about and the the way that you and I have already been talking about him until like three or four hours into that game is when he has kind of like a switch flip uh, where things start going so wrong for him that he decides that he doesn't really want to like be a badass so much anymore. He just kind of wants to live like a happy life uh, and, and you know, just still feels all these elements of like respect for the Yakuza and like wants wants to work his way up the ladder, um, but really starts to prioritize like his friendship with others and his family and things like that over other things uh, because of some of the stuff that goes down. And in the beginning of the game, he's kind of like a hothead, hotshot guy. And like, that's not who I was interested in. Whereas in Kiwami, he's the guy that you love like immediately. Like Kiwami starts with you like running back and forth between a pawn shop and uh, some other guy who's also in the family to borrow a bunch of money so you can buy a ring for somebody else. And it's like so silly that every time you go for the ring, they raise the price, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like you're getting so much of a flavor of what the whole franchise is in such a concise period of time, you know, in what is essentially a tutorial, but it's illustrating like every facet of vibe that you're going to get from the entire franchise all at once. Absolutely. I also think there's a really early scene in Kiwami between the protagonist Kiryu and Goro Majima, who is like his rival and foil. Yeah. And that scene is like a microcosm of the entire series that I've experienced. Yes. Like that exact exchange is so 
cool and tense and like gives you everything you need to know about both of those characters. And I get both those characters are very complex. I know them well enough to know that like they're also both in zero and you see their origin story and that's amazing. But I do think there's something about getting that like and I'm not saying, you know, eventually I will play all these games and maybe I'll have a more informed take of like which one I, I think is best to start with. But I do think Kiwami being a remake of the actual first game, it shows that we don't need to start a story at the beginning of their life chronologically to get the beginning of the story. Yes. Kiwami, I have found, pulled me in fastest. Yeah. I, I played the opening few hours of Zero, like when we first started the show and kind of moved on. Um, like a Dragon, as much as I love the beginning, it takes a long time. It's definitely a slow burn of a game. Yeah. And like... It's a really long game. It's like like significantly yeah. longer than the other ones, I think, if I recall correctly. Yeah. I, I think I had at least like 80 hours by the end of it. So oh it's like God. a persona yeah. length game. Yeah. And I don't think it needs to be that long. And I think it would be better if it was shorter, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I think like there's an edit there's a royale version of like a dragon that I think is that like, removes content yeah <laughs> mechanically like a dragon in the beginning is a lot of like walk here to progress the story mm-hmm. and it doesn't really like you don't really get a sense of what the game is going to feel like until like after you've left prison at that point it's right. like you know ten, first 10 hours yeah. whereas Kiwami like I think does throw you in right away given it's going off of the mechanics of the first game so it does feel a little bit like the combat is a little like looser than maybe you would expect from even zero or like a dragon like a dragon being the turn-based one but it works and honestly it's like very cool i love the heat moves like yeah you could talk a lot about how games specifically can sometimes glorify violence and like how that is done and if it's if it's a thing that should even exist i think kiryu being a character who is pretty conflict diverse like he really you've got to go out of your way to start a fight with him Mm -hmm. because he'll probably just ignore you until you actually throw the first punch right and then you will get a full cinematic of like a bike to the face and like a broken (laughs) arm over a fence and i feel like i'm always rooting for him and i'm always excited that he's inflicting this pain on others because it's just set up yeah in a way where it's like i'm just rooting for this guy like i feel like you know the way violence is also shown is so arcadey and so mm-hmm. video gamey that it actually does add levity to what could be like too gruesome you know like again like i i don't do well with that that's why i never really like pre-2018 god of war games i never enjoyed because it just felt like yeah a glorification of that for the sake of it whereas in in yakuza like it it feels cartoony enough that i'm like this is just like funny at a certain point you know yeah and in yakuza zero when you're beating people up money flies out of them also which is like just kind of amplifies that to a whole nth degree but i I think to your point about you know is this glorifying it or not or like why am i always rooting for kiryu it feels so much i mean i'm not a person who's into this but it feels so much like what people tell me about when they say they love wrestling like it feels so much yes 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 like Kiryu is like the good guy in the WWE he's the face oh my god that's the perfect analogy yeah even the fights are set up that way where it's like hey Kiryu like you know I'm gonna kick your ass and he's like yeah right whatever or like I'm busy I want to go bowling he's not (laughs) even like he doesn't even say whatever he's just like actually busy (laughs) yeah I do love the moments where I'm like I'm walking down the street and then you know I I, you can see in the 
distance when somebody spots you and wants to start a fight with you and they'll like yell at you from across the street or something. And then, you know, like three guys will kind of like try and sprint their way over to you. I love the moments where I'm like, no, thank you. And I just duck into like, I'm just going to do some like slack car <laughs> racing or like go into yeah. this convenience store or something instead just to get away from you. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that also makes him more powerful, like his habit to resist or avoid conflict at least petty conflict, I'll say. Yeah. When he does choose to like start a fight, you know, it's for a very big reason, you know, and music is going to accompany the punch he throws. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like there's mm-hmm. a scene that I won't spoil early on, but like Yakuza show up to sort of terrorize a nightclub and he throws a punch. and He's like, you know what? I've changed my mind. I will help you out. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just love how it's like the punch is accompanied. Like, you know what? You have a point. I will. I will. Uh, I will help you out in yeah. this quest. <laughs> it's it's I mean, I I start. I mentioned how I'm like a few hours into Kwame and like that was in a single sitting. I could not put it down. And, you know, I think like all these games are such a big ask and all of them have kind of a lot to like we mentioned last week, like the caveats that kind of plague the series itself. So, like, I think the series kind of has to find you in, like, the right mindset, the right time and place. Yeah. Um, like anything does. But I think, you know, when there's a game as big as this, that's like, you know, when we talk about games, I often think about, like, what games can I play ambiently or sort of, like, casually in passing? Mm. Like, you know, an hour every other day or so. And what are the games that are like, this is the sole event. I can't really think or do any other game right now until this is over, which yeah. I rarely feel. But I feel like Yakuza is that kind of game because like it's so I mean, I think open world games in general have that pull of like you're going to live in this place for a bit. But the story is so gripping. It's it's hard to put down like a good TV show. Like It's hard to stop watching the next episode. Yeah, I found the story of Kiwami so compelling that I really didn't stop until it was over. I mean, I beat the whole game in a week. I beat the whole game. (laughs) I think it was like 30, 35 hours. And and to be clear, like this is in the lead up to San Diego Comic Con, which is probably like the busiest week of the year for me work-wise also and like I just could not stop playing Kiwami until it was done and I'm definitely taking Zero a little bit slower right now mainly because I wanted to play other games for this episode yeah but like I'm gonna continue playing Zero until it's done what I'll say about going from Kiwami to Zero real yes, quick yes yes I was gonna ask yeah just because just because I, I I know you and some other people are curious about it the thing about it for me is that I am enjoying it the way I wish I had enjoyed like the Phantom Menace in a way like it feels a <laughs> little bit it feels a little bit like i'm i'm watching the payoff of a prequel like actually work and fucking like nail it or almost like not on the same level obviously but almost like godfather godfather 2 kind of stuff you know Um, right right specifically i don't want to say too much but zero is on a different level mechanically also where you're not just in Kamurocho, you're also in another city simultaneously and you're playing as two characters that you're swapping between i don't want to like go too much into specifics in case people don't know because i think it's like a really fun surprise but the introduction of the second character is like a jaw-dropping holy shit moment that plays out in like a 10 to 15 minute cinematic that i was like gripped by i i was floored by it and it made me feel honestly so good about my decision to go from kawami to zero because if i if that was my first introduction to that character i would be like that's a cool guy that's a very interesting guy yeah right but knowing where they end up in future games a little bit seeing where they started was like shocking in a way that i really like couldn't wrap my head around it made it weirdly just like an inverse holy shit mic drop um whereas if i had started there i don't know if it would have impacted me as heavily and that's really cool that's a really cool feeling when that happens there's also this kind of just like 
undercurrent of tragedy in a way also just knowing where a lot of the characters that show up in in zero end up at by the end of kiwami there are things that happen at the end of kiwami that where they have inserted cutscenes from zero into it to like make them land heavier and and in those moments i can understand why if you had played zero first it probably would have been more impactful when if you move on to kiwami but i'm finding this like weird like reversal thing very interesting and i'm, I'm curious how that's going to feel when i do kiwami zero kiwami two uh and move my way on but uh i it's it's funny that the seventh game is so much about, you know, Ichiban thinking that the world is Dragon Quest, because the thing I keep thinking and saying to you and everybody in my life is like, this just feels like me finding Dragon Quest all over again. Like, it feels like yeah. I just I feel so gripped by this and the way I was by Dragon Quest when you first jumped into those games um, and have now played most of them, if not all of them. I feel I feel so similarly to Yakuza right now where like I, it finally hit me like I finally get it. And it's so funny, too, because like, what was it? Years ago, Judgment was the first game technically that I played in this franchise because it was a spinoff and I was like cool I don't need to play all I guess at that point it was it was before like a dragon had come out so that's zero through six that's seven games I was like cool I don't need to play all seven of these games I could just play the spinoff and even there I got like two-thirds of the way in and then stuff started linking to Yakuza I was like ah shit like I'm, I'm missing out on stuff again so it'll be cool to like finally do it all and I, I think you're right I think it's just like cool I'm, I'm watching like Star Trek Next Generation you know like I, it's gonna take me <laughs> it's gonna take me a long time to do all of this but like I really want to you know oh Oh my I just saw a vivid image of Patrick Stewart like stopping and going into monochromatic and I'm like Captain Jean-Luc Picard like you know <laughs> Captain of the North <laughs> yeah I just said Captain of the Normandy everything is fusing together in my brain right now <laughs> But all that having been said, I I am very interested in what the feeling is for people who actually do start with zero and then go to Kiwami, just because like going from the combat feeling better, money flying out of people when you punch them in the face, having two protagonists, two cities, all of these extra quality of life improvements that they've added to zero and then losing so much of that in Kiwami, like even the combat feels better in zero than it does in Kiwami, which I I didn't dislike it in Kiwami, but I could tell that it was like, you know, like glossed up PS2 combat. I'm curious what that would feel like. And I think that that would be a bigger turnoff for me. I feel like if I had gone from zero to Kiwami, I would have just like watched a Let's Play of Kiwami instead because I would start playing and be like, oh, I'm missing so many of the things that I really appreciate about this game. Even the even the idea that in zero, you uh, level up your abilities by just investing money into yourself. Like you you, you take the money that that you're punching out of dudes and then you you use that to level up your abilities. And then in Kiwami, you like just have like an experience bar and you have to spend experience and stuff like the money thing feels so much better better even losing that i would have been like oh i don't know how much i want to commit to this um so i'm I'm glad to be doing it in the order that i'm doing it i wonder if that's why like i feel like from what little research i've done i wonder if that's why kiwami one is like tends to be lower on people's like ranking of the series i wonder if like you know again like you just said going from zero to kiwami especially when kiwami is being billed in a weird way as a sequel to zero right it sounds like it might suffer from that identity crisis of like is this a sequel to zero is this just a remaster of one yeah it's kind of both it sounds like yeah but again starting there even post like a dragon i've been really enjoying it i think it also just speaks to like how good the original was at least mm-hmm. on a narrative level that like it just immediately pulls you in. Yeah. And not to double um, back too much on what we were, you know, our, our conversation from last week, but just this idea of going deeper into an open world instead of wider is like so 
compelling and so interesting that they were doing that on the PS2. You know, it's like I feel I feel yeah. like that's been such a such like a rallying cry for so many people for so long is like I I don't want giant empty worlds. I want like smaller rich worlds. I what was that um The Outer Worlds? Was that a game by yeah. um Obsidian? Yeah, Obsidian. Yeah, it, that that really like nailed that, you know, and I I feel like after that game it was like, "Oh man, I can't wait to see more people take inspiration from this." And like here's Yakuza all along being like, "We're going to have one city, we're going to have two cities, sometimes we're going to have three cities." but they're all going to be these really tightly packed, densely packed places where you can experience so much wild shit. It's really fun. It's 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 an incredible franchise. I I, I think so highly of it now, uh, and I, I can't wait to keep playing them. Yeah, every now and then there's a new series that kind of pulls us in, and I feel like Yakuza is definitely doing that for us. Yeah. I was going to say, like, the conversation about, like, going deeper instead of going wider, That that is not too much of a left turn, but that is what makes me so nervous about Starfield, you know, mm. and, and that we have a thousand planets, which honestly is Bethesda showing restraint. The fact that it wasn't like we have, you know, six uh, Zeptilian planets. It's <laughs> yeah, like, just like really doing No Man's Sky. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, doing infinite proc gen. Yeah. You know, a thousand, while it sounds huge, like I do have some relief that it's like a finite number, but it's still <laughs> like, what is that going to mean? Are there going to be like eight, you know, forest planets? Like, And we'll see. Like, I'm not trying to like shoot that game down already, but like, I do think that there's like, I don't see that philosophy for designing games to be sustainable or interesting where like, you know, at a certain point going larger starts to lose meaning if it doesn't directly relate to the player because yeah. we're not going to see a lot of it. You know, like we always talk about the Ghost of Tsushima moment where like the island just doubles and then like the you and I lost interest. And maybe that's just us. Maybe some people were excited by that, especially if that's like the game you're playing. It might be cool to be like, oh, like this also might very much be a video game podcast host problem. We're like, <laughs> it's too big. It's too long. I yeah. want it to be short. But I don't think it is because I feel like the sentiment amongst a lot of people is like when a game is is made to be endless and unbeatable, the the gut feeling is exhaustion, not wonder. Yeah. You know? Right. So I know so many people who feel like it, it's like a burden where that they have to finish something before they can move on. And when a game is like meant to be unfinishable, that just makes you dread the experience, which is something Yakuza entirely avoids by its like design philosophy inherent totally. to it. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I have so infrequently seen instances of games double in size as like a big reveal and have it work. Yakuza zero it really worked for me this week when I was playing it. Elden ring is maybe like the only one I could think of in recent memory. Elden ring is up there. Yeah. Um, and the other one I'm thinking of not to spoil it for you, but is, is God of war. The, oh, the most recent one, very cool. which because that game is such like a, tightly constructed narrative when the world doubles in size it's like it's not that daunting because you already know what the gameplay style is and the gameplay style is not like i'm gonna go all over this open world and do all these side quests like in ghost of tsushima it's like oh you're you're gonna take me on this path you're gonna take me on this journey through this space that you've unlocked for me so you don't feel that sense of exhaustion it is this idea of like oh my god this game is so much bigger than i think it is and that's 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 a cool moment in god of war that i i agree with you in ghost of tsushima because for both you and i i think we felt so compelled to do like every side quest and then not realizing that that opening island was like just the tutorial island that the game was going to double in size after you beat a story mission there and then double in size again later on in the game once you make it to the end of act two is like oh my god there's just like maybe too much video game here as much as i to be clear we both love that game like that game is incredible yeah, it's really absolutely. really beautiful i i love my time with it but i i just couldn't finish it because of the eventual size of the thing I think there's a really delicate balance between the Ghost of Tsushima Island doubling and the leaving Midgar FF7. 
you know, where yeah. it's like that. Yeah. Narr- and I think it really ties to like, is it for narrative reasons that we're realizing what we thought the world was, which was much smaller? That can be a really powerful reveal versus this game's going to kick your ass and it's twice as big as you thought it was. <laughs> and Mountain Dew yeah. is our proud sponsor. It's like, I don't want that. And it's really hard to distinguish. Why is it when I leave Midgar and see that I'm like this tiny dot on a giant earth that's mm-hmm. so powerful and seeing an island be larger than I thought is exhausting. <laughs> I don't really, I can't put it into words, but I do think there's context there that is important. So I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah. I Not to continue this, but I, I do feel like it really does come down to what the what the player mindset is at that point, right? And and in Final yeah, Fantasy Seven, yeah. for example, you are again kind of like God of War, like making your way through a story, right? So you kind of have this confidence in the in the game to continue telling that story in an interesting way by the time Midgar opens up and you leave and you're like, oh my God, there's a whole world here because this idea that like this tightly constructed narrative can continue in a more open space is really exhilarating. Whereas Ghost of Tsushima, they made all these side quests available to you specifically to like keep you entertained in between story missions and allow you to level up and do all this other stuff, but didn't play its hand and tell you like, hey, maybe you should pace yourself here. So people like you and I who are loving this thing just like burn ourselves out on the opening because we're like, this is all the game is. And then when the reveal is that there's more game and you actually like fucked yourself, it's like, oh, shit. It's a a lateral growth. It's a lateral move versus an exponential move. Right. Where, you know, there's a there's a camera zooming out versus a camera just like trudging forward. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Being like, oh, cool. I, I chased down 24 foxes, but now there's 48 foxes. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Although I think narratively, there is cool progression to that game. Like the story does get really, really compelling as you get further into it in Ghost of Tsushima. Mm-hmm. So definitely still again, definitely still recommend that game for sure. Two final notes. Number one, <gasps> um, I've been playing some of the Yakuza games on my Iron Odin through Game Pass in bed, which has been really cool and continues to make me wish that these games were on the Switch in some capacity, and I know that they won't be. But also, weirdly enough, another strange happenstance, uh, our friend Chris Plant over at the Besties has also been playing the Yakuza games and mentioned on the Besties that he's been playing them on the Steam Deck, and I'm so excited to get a Steam Deck so I can play these games on there eventually. Yes. Uh, Because what what an exciting idea that is. I was a little bit like wavering on how excited I was about getting a Steam Deck eventually, um, and then the idea that I could play the rest of the yakuza games on that thing oof i'm in i'm back in baby (laughs) there's like at least five games that that make me feel like the steam deck is worth it one of which my like dream of dreams is when Baldur's gate 3 is finally out (laughs) that on steam deck i feel like will be will Mm. be amazing i don't really know why but that just i keep seeing that in my head yeah minesweeper (laughs) dude i can play 3d pinball on my steam deck this is sick (laughs) tilt all right, uh, let's take a break. I can watch the 3D pipe screensaver in my Steam Deck. This is awesome. <laughs> let's take a break. Do you ever watch the 3D maze screensaver <laughs> and just like expect something to happen, like a creepypasta? Do you ever do that? Yeah, I do, yeah. The 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 maze? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. I used to like watch that. Like, I'm probably not for hours, but I would used to watch that like with conviction that something would eventually happen or there'd be like something creepy. Revealed. Yeah, because there was like a lot of mystery there for sure. I loved that you could replace the textures with any image in your library also <laughs> and just make like the worst nightmare shit possible. That's yeah. also really fun. What, what, an, what an exciting time it was to be a computer user with Windows 95. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, I get it. Let's take a break. Anyway, Fire Emblem Echo Shadows of Valentia is available for wow. a limited time on the Nintendo 3DS eShop. Let's take a break and come back and talk about more video games. I, I feel like we also have a lot of content on the horizon for the 3DS eShop, so that wasn't actually a bit. I feel like that was more of a warning. <laughs> Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. Goodbye. Bye. That was the uh, announcer for multiverses who for some reason screams prepare yourselves like at eight times the volume of everything else in that game before a match starts i paid gleamium not real <laughs> money but i had some gleamium to get uh iron giant as the announcer and it's too scary because he goes you can choose <laughs> before a match starts <laughs> oh shit that's so cool oh my yeah. god i hate so much that the iron giant is in that game but i love so much that he goes, you that can, he can be the announcer. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, I you can have any of the characters as an announcer, which I love. I, and I, I'm I'm waiting for like just someone completely stupid to get unlocked for that game so I can make them the announcer. Yeah, I guess is this like a weird little mini break in the episode? Because I feel like I, <laughs> I guess I, so, I, I yeah. have played a little bit of multiverses. I could talk about it if you want. Yeah, sure. For a second, I've also played it a bunch. Yeah, I played the beta finally. We talked about it a lot. Like. A few weeks ago, because you played the alpha. Yeah, I was in the alpha. Yeah. So I, I feel like we covered a lot of like what I felt kind of inherently at the game's idea of just sort of like how soulless it can come across and how like corporate it can feel. All that aside, the game itself is fun. I, I, I have enjoyed it. I don't really expect it to be what it wants to be. And who knows? Like, I'm not like a prophet of what fighting games will be popular. Mm -hmm. I think it will be popular. I think it will like do well. But I think like we've learned at this point when you invite comparisons to Smash too closely, my gut feeling, is, and I think a lot of people feel this way, is I'd rather just play Smash Brothers. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> that's yeah. kind of, that being said, I think what they've done so well is like the character animations and the sense of character is so strong, which is something yeah. that I think in the Nickelodeon fighter was really missing. Like, you know, originally there was no voices and it just sort of felt like they were stand-ins rather than like actually the characters themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I've been playing as Tom and Jerry. They're so fun to watch because they're constantly fighting each other, even though they're like an ice climbers duo. Right. So like every move they have is directed at the other. And then the goal is to get the opponent like in the middle of their chaos. It's so cool. Yeah. It's a great idea. It's incredible. All the characters are like really unique and really fun. And I have enjoyed it. My two big kind of gripes with the game are I feel like the sense of collision and impact is a little off like I feel like they the characters individually play mm. really well like the sense of movement and and the attacks themselves are cool but when they come together I don't get a clear sense of like what my attacks are doing and how effective they are so that's like my my biggest thing and it's also still in beta so that could very much improve the other thing that I think is a little bit harder to improve upon and this is maybe more subjective but the way they're really focusing on two verse two and the way every character is pitched as like a specific class with almost like a MOBA sort of setup right I don't think that really works for me at all like I, I don't dislike that they're trying to do that I think that's a cool idea but I just think it adds too many complexities to what is already a very chaotic system like is Tom and Jerry really a mage like are we really <laughs> are we really settled on that like and what world is he a mage and i've also just found like on a simpler note i just find 2v2 way less enjoyable than 1v1 like night and day I totally agree 
Uh, I find the 1v1 matches to be really tense and really fun and really well paced. And then 2v2, I don't know what's happening. Like, I mean, in Smash, it's a similar issue. Like, once you have more than three players, it's like chaos for the first 30 seconds and then it kind of settles. But I think, like, I'm concerned that the game is really, like, it almost feels like they're building it with two versus two in mind with the whole idea of like i'm a support character who's a mage it's like i don't know if that works for me at all that being said i I think it's a cool game it's definitely worth checking out if you're curious but i i think it's a little bit confusing and like what it's trying to be yeah i am i'm right there with you i I think the the 2v2 support stuff is more interesting in execution or sorry is more interesting in ideation than it is in execution because because the 1v1 stuff just feels so fucking good it's so it's so weird so i i guess just to double back from a couple episodes ago but just to be clear the way this works is in super smash brothers you have your like you know your your regular smash attacks right or like your regular attacks which you're using with the a button and then all the characters have special attacks tied to the b button which will be things based on who that character is same deal in multiverses but if you're playing in 2v2 all of those special attacks instead of being ones that you know either attack or help you the player will be used in ways that will help other characters so like an easy example is uh wonder woman if you're playing as wonder woman in 1v1 your side b attack uh, or your side special attack is the the lasso of truth which you throw out and then you would like whip the opposing player and then bring them towards you so you can like beat the shit out of them and like combo them and stuff if you're playing in 2v2 and you have a teammate you actually use the lasso of truth now to help your other teammate like get back onto the ledge if they get knocked off so if they they get like knocked off stage you can turn around use the lasso and lasso them back onto the stage things like that uh and it's a cool idea but just adds this like adds this whole layer of complexity to the gameplay that like you'd really need to commit to only playing 2v2 to understand what characters work best and how to use them in what situations in 2v2 whereas i feel like for people like you and i who are just like interested in playing a fun fighting game that's like one step too far versus 1v1 which is like oh this is super smash brothers but with different characters and honestly that's like kind of a fun weird idea yeah and that that's kind of what i'm thinking where like it almost feels like all the moba stuff and the focus on 2v2 exists solely to distinguish this from Smash Brothers. Yeah. Like it feels like someone in the room was like, we can't just make Smash Brothers, but with WB characters, we've got to, we've got to <laughs> yeah. do something different, which I understand. Cause like, you know, at, at a certain point, you don't want to just blatantly rip it off, but like, that is also what they're doing. So it's like, in in another sense, like just roll into it. Like Smash Brothers is now done with development. Like there's no more DLC for Ultimate. You know, obviously the game's community is still there and like it's still widely beloved and played, but it's not being like worked on anymore. So like, I think that Smash also has created a genre of fighting game that you can definitely build on top of. Like, I think you can trace the origins of Smash back to even Power Stone on the Dreamcast, which I'm Mm -hmm. very excited to talk about one day. (laughs) And even just any kind of 3D, like, arena fighting game. Like, there are others that exist that are sort of that idea. So, like, I think that for me, if you are inspired to make a game like Smash, I would be more interested in pushing it forward rather than just doing it again, but like throwing duct tape on it to be like, no, this is a different thing. You know, that's kind of, that's, that's what I don't love about it, but we'll see. I mean, again, it's still in beta. I think it's really impressive for what it is. Like, I think that like, it's very easy to write this game off and I think it's significantly better than I expected. 
Um, yeah. And I, yeah, can, I, I will definitely pick it up when it comes out. I think it being free to play is like obviously a hugely beneficial yes. thing for that game uh, because it is so tight that I think a lot of people will check it out and have the same experience that you and I did, which is like, oh, my God, this is actually good. Because when you first hear about, <laughs> I mean, I remember you and I first hearing about it and it was like, I want to like break a light bulb over my head and then lie down. Like <laughs> the fact that you and I, I actually are, felt sick. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you and I are like sitting here being like, it's actually pretty good is so wildly impressive for a game where you can like witness in your mind's eye the boardroom meeting where they decided that it was going to happen. A bunch of like C-suite executives were like, what about this? Uh, Yeah, right. Made a bunch of people make it. But I mean, it's it's like pretty fun. So, yeah, I don't know. Multiverses. It's in beta now coming out probably later in the year, I imagine. This also sounds like a maybe a little bit mean, but I, I do mean it more as an observation than a critique. But I do think it's a game worth playing because you can learn. At least I walked away from playing multiverses with a firmer understanding of what makes a fighting game work and not work. And I think the game mm. does both. You know, I think I'm like, <laughs> yeah. OK, what are the things that like character animations and a sense of character? Ten out of ten. I think every character here it's so fun to see how they play and everyone controls really well. Yeah. But then there's stuff like, oh, these orchestrations of songs from all these series are beautiful, but why doesn't it match the energy of the match? This works really well in a menu, but not in the thick of battle in the Batcave. Mm-hmm. You know, what mm-hmm. kind of music complements a match better? Stuff like that, where it's like, I'm not being like, this sucks, this sucks, but I'm like, what is it that's not working for me and why? Actually, I actually really value that experience. And yeah. that's something that, you know, I think you you could think of whenever you're playing any game. But for some reason, multiverses was like educational on that front. <laughs> I think also whenever there's a game in beta and you can see the people actively working on it and like what is ready and what isn't. I think that's a cool like process to be part of in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Cool. Let's uh, all right. take a real break and then come back and talk about more video games. Sounds good. I'm all I'm all Tom and Jerry as a maged out. <laughs> OK, I'm going to go break a light bulb over my head and lie down. <laughs> <laughs> I did spend Gleamium to get them pirate outfits. So wow. that's where I'm at. Yeah. Nice. Gleamium. All right. See ya. See you later. Steven, we are back in the podcast. If you can believe it, it's a Friday once again. <laughs> And if you can believe it, it's a Friday once again. That's uh, I'm. Let's not explain that. Um, so <laughs> you and I have been uh playing a bunch of games. I think we wanted to run through a couple of them real quick before we get to our last segment. But you did a stream recently, which somebody just like asked for on a whim, and we were both like, "Wow, what a great idea! Why haven't you done this before?" And uh, yeah, here you are playing what game is it it's ftl faster than light advanced yeah. edition ftl is a game that i love yeah uh someone in the discord who i think they had just listened to games of the decade our famous infamous uh eight hour episode from 2019 uh <laughs> where we go over 100 games that we loved from the decade um, yeah i feel like doing that episode definitely like changed us in some ways. <laughs> like, I feel like that, yeah I, not in a bad way but i feel like doing that was like it was so much to take on so early on in the show that it was sort of like the make or break point you know yeah yeah i totally agree with you i'm very flattered people like still listen to that and like point to it as like a good episode like i'm, I'm mm. honestly very proud of it yeah but it is inherently silly to make one episode that long yeah it's um, so fun i can't wait to do it again it's yeah 
and just for the record, I think the longest like single session we've recorded, I think was like five and a half hours. Yeah. I think it was Last of Us Part Two. Yeah, that was a long one. Games of the Decade was recorded over the course of a month. So really all that happened was we released eight episodes in one file. <laughs> uh, but still. Anyway, FTL came up in that episode and uh, someone in the Discord was like, I would love to see Steven stream that. First of all, thank you for saying that. Second of all, I did it and it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think FTL, that game came out like right when Twitch was like a thing, which is kind of interesting because I feel like it is yeah. like the one of the best games to stream. I mean, I think roguelikes in general are fun to stream because it's sort of run based. It's unique to the moment. So I think it's like fun to watch that live. Mm-hmm. And FTL happens to have like one of the best soundtracks ever. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice combo of like weirdly peaceful and then abruptly stressful, uh, which I think <laughs> is the kind of stream that I like. Uh, so yeah, for those who don't know, FTL, highly, highly recommend FTL. I think it's it still remains one of my favorite games. It is a roguelike or maybe a roguelite. I'm not sure. Uh, either way, you are in control of a spaceship. I think early on you only have one, but as you play the game from various runs, you can unlock other ships that are more like specifically made towards one strategy. But either way, you have a ship, you have a crew. The game presents like a sector of the galaxy. The main premise is you are a Federation ship delivering something important to the Federation and the rebels are chasing you. Mm-hmm. I always think it's funny how the rebels are the bad guys. It's like the one time that has happened. <laughs> but anyway, who knows? Maybe you are the bad guys. They don't really, the plot is very light. Um, it's more like kind of just like dressing than it is or you know like it's more like a outline of a story that you can kind of fill in yourself as you play Mm. so what that means is like as you hop from points in a galaxy the rebels are always progressing through the map and if they ever catch up to you you're kind of thrown into a fight that you likely can't win so it's like really not ideal you can get out like you can escape you can even beat them but like you don't want that to happen most likely so it's not really in real time like i said they they show you a page of the galaxy and there are different sectors on the map think of it almost like say the spire you know when you're going up a route like it will right. show you like connected by dotted lines like you can go to this path or this path it's essentially just that but in space with the idea that you were actually like mass effect relay jumping from one point in the galaxy to another and each time you do that you use one fuel and every point is essentially a random event so it has a heavy design like a tabletop setting where like it almost feels like the dm is telling you like okay you arrive in this sector and and this happens and sometimes they'll just be like oh you ran into a pirate sorry dude you got to fight now yeah other times it will be like you meet a ng merchant uh, the ng are like kind of like the borg like a mechanical race and there will be like you know dialogue choices or something and, and what's really what really keeps the game fresh is that every outcome is always sort of different like even if you get the same event in in run after run how you handle it and the options available will always be slightly different so it's never right. just like oh i know what to say here like there's always a element of probability which i think is kind of the point of the game that is a little bit hit or miss for some people the game is a lot of probability and i think like that can be grading to some i think it pulls it off because like once you realize you are never going to win uh, or or very rarely like yeah if you get up to the final boss of ftl i think i've, I've been playing this game for years and i've only beaten them once mm. uh and if you do if you beat the final ship you unlock a ship that is essentially broken it's like the best ship in the game it's the federation flagship <laughs> one of the abilities of that ship just has a laser that fires every 30 seconds 
seconds and penetrates all shields. So you just like <laughs> cut through every. Sh- so like if you beat that ship, you've essentially beaten the game and the game's like, here's like an overpowered ship. Have fun. Yeah, that's great. But there's also a ton of secret ships that you can unlock that I won't spoil that are really cool. I had unlocked everything and then uh, I lost my save data when I switched computers. Um, so I am kind of starting from scratch. I, I didn't know if I had any save data on Steam. That's I was streaming it from my MacBook. I do have a couple ships unlocked. I think if you get to like sector four or five, you unlock the NG ship, which is honestly one of my favorite ships. And, uh, you know, I think I also have the Zoltan ship and I won't get too into what that even means because like it is a game where you open it and they're like, hey, play the tutorial like you really should because the game is visually representing ideas that are not intuitive. But like once someone sits you down and is like, okay, here is like the engine room. Here's what engines do. Like it has a really it's just so much fun. I think like the way you can assign members of your crew to certain stations and they get better at that station the longer they're there. And like once you learn what all those symbols mean it kind of does feel like you are the captain of a ship where you're like oh my mm-hmm. god okay that's that's breached go fix that we've got to power down this to power up this it really is so compelling and it really does require you like play the tutorial but it's not very long and i think you'll get it like as soon as that happens and that's really what the game is about it's more about experience than it is about like doing well because i think the game is so rich in atmosphere and so rich in like the presentation and the music and the fact that the story is kind of light and the presentation is is simple it really kind of allows you and encourages you to like project your own emotions to what's happening or to like write your own story as it's happening so it was one of the first games that i think kind of primed me for DD because i hadn't played DD yet when this game came out yeah and i feel like it sort of like stirred my imagination in that way so i would i would highly recommend it if anything i said sounds interesting to you i think it's an incredible experience and i will definitely stream it more it's so like relaxing to stream even though it always ends in abrupt death uh it's a somewhat (laughs) relaxing game yeah it's like um it's like in star trek the kobayashi maru is this test that they make uh potential like captains and officers take uh in in the like federation academy and the whole idea is to see how this person essentially deals with like the pressure of knowing you can't win the whole idea is that it's an unwinnable scenario and it's almost like ftl expects you to win the kobayashi maru in a way yeah and like in the absence of that like you know because it's so difficult like what do you do and and what what is the point of this and i think you're right it's just like seeing more uh, in a way, which honestly makes it a really successful roguelike. It's one of the reasons that you and I liked it so much and had it in the Games of the Decade episode was I just feel like when I'm thinking about what it is that brings me back to roguelikes over and over again, things like Spelunky even, you know, Spelunky is a, you know, kind of like what if Mario was going and, and spelunking in a cave <laughs> at the end of the day the success of that game comes from the idea that eventually you will have encountered so many scenarios that you'll know how to tackle most issues that arise. Um, and if you continue to be careful and play carefully and use that wealth of knowledge from just like constant, consistent death over an extended period of time, you'll probably surmount the odds and, and make it to the end of that game. Um, and FTL is just like a really, like really long term version of that, where there are so many possibilities and there's so many things that can happen. And there's so much like real time and long term thinking that needs to happen. It's 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 a brilliant game. It's also available on iPad, which is a great way to play it. Yeah, yeah it's a great way to play that game, uh, which actually kind of leads into the other thing that we want to talk about, which is so FTL is 
is by a team called Subset Games, and they have another game. That their follow-up to FDL was called Into the Breach, um, which is a, a wonderful turn-based strategy game um, that I, I can't recommend highly enough. The whole idea is you're essentially piloting a bunch of mechs trying to save uh, cities from getting attacked by giant bugs, and it's kind of this like isometric, almost like Final Fantasy Tactics Fire Emblem style thing where turn by turn you need to use the abilities of the different mechs you have to get these bugs to not kill entire cities worth of people but it's presented in this like very cartoony kind of like isometric way so it even though the game is like very dour and the situation is very depressing it doesn't feel oppressive to play in the way that like existing in like the world of fallout 3 is for example yeah it kind of looks like sim city meets starcraft 1 it has that sort of like 90s computer game aesthetic to it and if you fail the game, you select one of your mech pilots and then you send them back in time uh, and then you try and do it again. Uh, and that's how the roguelike element of the game works is you're you're constantly leveling up one of your mechs unless they end up dying in combat, in which case, you know, you will probably uh, scream at your television uh, or <laughs> scream at your iPhone because the game has been released on iOS. Uh, and I think Android as well as of uh, this past week. Uh, weirdly enough, through Netflix, uh, Subset Games seems to have done a deal with Netflix netflix i guess like put up the money to get them to port this game to to mobile and i've been playing a little bit uh if you don't know how netflix games works you have to download the game off of the app store as you normally would and then sign in with your netflix account and then from that point on you don't need to like be connected to the internet to continue playing the game which i was i was worried about when they first started releasing these games was that every single time you open the game it would like check to see if you have a netflix account and make you log in whatever you don't thankfully so as i said it's san diego comic-con week and i've been going to the office a lot um and i haven't been able to like get a seat so i've been you know playing mobile games standing up instead of my 3ds which was my original plan for the week but uh (laughs) thankfully into the breach came out on mobile and i'll just say this uh without going too much further into it it's a great port it's really good i like it a lot it runs really well they have like a new ui specifically for the mobile version that i think uh really aids having a smaller screen real estate to work with i I love it that game is i think still a masterpiece and uh i will probably continue to chip away at it like forever now it's just like going to be another iphone staple for me forever i remember that game came out in our first year of doing the show and it was on both our lists at the end of 2018 yeah i remember one thing we said about into the breach when it came out was that like i think it came out on It was on PC and Switch, I believe, and we were playing it on Switch, and it was dramatically easier to read and handheld than on TV. Just like the way that they communicate information in that game on TV just didn't really feel as good as in handheld. So I was actually really excited for this mobile port because I feel like kind of like FTL, really good and in some ways like ideal on an iPad. This game felt like it would be perfect for for a mobile Mm -hmm. device Mm -hmm. because essentially how, like you said, it's an isometric thing and also in, in some ways is kind of a flip of FTL where FTL is all about probability and into the breach it's it's turn based and every time it's your turn the enemy is directly broadcasting what they're going to do on the next turn right so you you know exactly how the enemy is going to react and there is usually a ideal way to deal with the enemy but sometimes you have to really consider like it might take sacrifice like do i sacrifice one of my pilots do i sacrifice one of the cities essentially by broadcasting what the enemy is going to do every turn you have to think what am i willing to lose which is like a really hard question to be constantly asked in a game totally um and you know again having your pilot level up over time and and having them constantly go back in time and becoming super powerful eventually you're going to lose that pilot and it's going to be devastating like it's going to be so hard like you you can play as that pilot again like there's like a dozen or so set pilots who are like 
written characters who have their own personality, who have their own strengths and weaknesses. But like your version of that pilot will be gone. So like if you've leveled them up and given them certain equipment, like they will start from scratch the next time you play. Yeah. Which, you know, kind of similar weirdly to the ships in FTL where like you'll always have like, okay, I have like the starting ship, I have the NG ship, I have the Zoltan ship, but like how you upgrade the ship and what abilities it has in a run is unique to that run itself. Mm hmm. So adding that to the pilot, I think like FTL has kind of like a, I don't want to say tongue in cheek, but there's a lightness to it. Even when it gets like grim and devastating, like there's kind of like a, a silliness to the writing and like a encouraging atmosphere of like, they're like, Hey, try again. That was fun. Wasn't it? Even though your ship got torn apart, whereas into the breach, like you said, is much more dour. Although what I learned recently is that there are a few unlockable pilots that are some of the aliens from FTL. Like secretly, oh. so you can play as like uh, the Mantis is one of the pilots and the Zoltan, uh, which I think is really fun. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to play it. And I think mobile was like a really great avenue for for a game like this, because you can just see like the bugs and the, and the marks above them, like what they're going to do. And also even just controlling with, I imagine, touch controls. That's this. It just sounds perfect for this game. Yeah, they, it, it every once in a while there's a game that drops on mobile that, you know, was previously on a console or PC or something. And, and you can tell that they like didn't really think a whole lot about how to move that thing over into a completely new avenue of interaction with a piece of hardware. And this is one of those games where they like super, super, super did like it. They totally fucking nailed it. It reminds me a lot of honestly of um, uh, Dicey Dungeons also got a mobile port recently that also mm. feels like so native to the platform. It, it almost feels like it was built from the ground up for mobile. And that's that's what you want out of a mobile port, I think. So very, very, very happy with Into the Breach uh, on mobile. It's also worth mentioning that it comes with a new update for the game that adds a whole bunch of content. And I don't even know what that is because I haven't gotten far enough to see any of it. Uh, and I'm, yeah. I'm I'm curious to know what that is. So uh, uh, maybe I'll report back eventually if I continue playing it. One other game I wanted to mention in this uh, like quick run through of some stuff we've been playing before we get on to the last segment. Live Alive. The demo came out a couple weeks ago. I played the whole thing and was like blown the fuck away by it. So if you don't know what Live Alive is, it's a game that came out uh, in 1994 for the Super Famicom uh, from Square Enix, or I guess it was just Square at the time. And essentially was this game where you were playing as uh, I, I think it's seven. Yeah, it's seven characters characters uh, who are all existing at different periods of time and you play through little chapters in their stories and I imagine they meet up at some point I'm not really sure but I imagine at some point they all converge in some way shape or form if you like beat enough of them or beat all of them but it's this game that was essentially like a cult classic people have done like English patch translations and stuff over the years but this constant I think you know almost like a mother three level like please release this in the west please release this in the west over and over again for years and years and years and they finally did it and uh, Nintendo published it which is wild so Square developed Nintendo published which is why Nintendo's been going so hard in the paint on promoting the thing but the demo is out you can play as three characters you can play like halfway through all of their stories um, and I think it gives a really 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 compelling look at what this game is and why it's so successful um, specifically the reason I think you'll find it really interesting is that the combat feels to me a lot like what I kind of wish the Chrono Trigger combat felt like like as much as I love of the combat and Chrono Trigger, one of the big missing elements of that game for me was the ability to see visually where your attacks are going to land and what area of effect your attacks have. And it's a thing that, you know, 
there is a, a kind of compelling idea in Chrono Trigger where eventually you'll just kind of like intuit that information. You'll just like know firsthand because the battles are so, um, so engrossing that eventually you'll just kind of like feel like you're living in that world and you'll know like, okay, if, if Chrono's doing his like little spin attack, you know exactly how far that's going to reach. Live Alive has a very similar thing where you are essentially controlling your characters on a grid so you can move them around a grid and then you also select from a collection of abilities that they have and you can see visually exactly where they're going to attack and and where they can hit um so certain attacks like one of the earliest uh things from the demo that i did was in imperial china you're playing is this like kung fu master who is looking for a bunch of apprentices uh because he wants to like pass off his knowledge onto other people so you're like traveling around the world trying to find other apprentices that you can take under your wing uh, and getting into all these like wacky situations uh you know running into people who are like so silly that you're like you're gonna be my disciple but uh <laughs> so much of that is about like just avoiding conflict at all times like somebody tries to hit you and you like kind of weave out of the way and then you double back with an attack that like is so strong they go flying across the map things like that it's really fun that's cool but i just finished uh this morning in the in the full game i finished this morning the wild west chapter like i did that whole that whole bit and it's so interesting to see how this combat style is able to mold and and weave depending on who you're playing as and what the story is so in this case when you're in the wild west it's obviously like shootouts right it's obviously like you need to you know quick draw against somebody else so when you go up against another character instead of having these like kind of short range attacks where you're like punching or kicking somebody who's next to you it's different kinds of like quick draws that you can do and you can see the accuracy of that shot and like where it's going to go across the entire playing field so it's like do i position myself in a way where i can like kind of do this shot in a way where I'm I'm avoiding being shot in the chest but also hitting this guy or not uh, which is really cool on top of that the stories and the writing are like so interesting and so weird and so varied which is I I think a really compelling part of this game it's like the Imperial China one is like very irreverent very silly Uh, you know the the main character is like very serious but all of his apprentices and disciples that he picks up are like so weird the Wild West one is awesome because especially knowing that this game came out in what was that 1994 the Wild West one is like very clearly an homage to 13 assassins which is like a 1960s movie that came out in which these 13 samurai uh essentially all come together and uh lay a bunch of booby traps out in a village to uh stop like a, a warlord from coming in and like just wiping out everybody in the village and this is very much that where you are playing as this like outlaw wild west cowboy guy um who is being chased by a bounty hunter and the two of you like reluctantly have to team up to save this town from getting overrun by bandits uh by essentially putting everyone in the town to work and having them like lay booby traps all over the place and then you know get into shootouts along the way it's really 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 fun i i understand why people have been calling this game a masterpiece for like years like it totally makes sense to me i think that this is one hell of a remake and i'm going to talk about it more when i play more of it uh because i've only like finished one of the chapters but it's it's stunning i mean the music is amazing the it's the best looking hd 2d shit i've seen like easily it's it's a it's a stunning game and it's so clear that people working on this remake love it so much yeah because it, it is such a faithful recreation of it and also honestly elevates it because i've seen some footage of the original game and like while it's impressive what they were able to do in 1994 where they've taken it in this is on a completely different level um it's it's amazing and i, I can't wait to talk about it more and I, I feel like you're gonna fucking love it just check out the demo and you'll be like <laughs> oh shit yeah this is amazing oh yeah i 
I feel confident enough to to get the whole game, and I'll I'll probably also be as enthusiastic for it. Is it the same team who did Octopath and uh, I don't Triangle think so. Strategy? Oh, okay, a similar presentation though. That that HD two point five. Yeah, I I think thing. that that team. If I were to guess, I would say that a lot of this is just to be clear, complete conjecture. I don't actually know this, but my guess would be that Square funded the Octopath team to create that HD 2D engine so they could use it for other projects for things I like see. this, these kinds of remakes, things like the Dragon Quest 3 remake that's happening, right, things like that. Right. I have to imagine that part of the creation of Octopath was like creating the engine that they were going to be able to make other games in. Um, I would not be surprised. I'll call it now July 24th, 2022. There will be a Chrono Trigger remake in this engine eventually. Like there's you think so. I absolutely. I think there's no world in which they're not, especially considering the Chrono Cross remaster and stuff like they know what they know that people are going to want that eventually. And people will go absolutely nuts for it when it drops. Yeah. Chrono Trigger is an interesting one for me because I feel like I'm on the fence of whether or not I want to see a remake of that versus just porting it. You know, because think that like, yeah, there's something about that presentation that is so unique to itself that like, you know, and, and maybe I would feel the same if I had played the original Live Alive about this remake. But mm. I also feel like I'm probably not alone and that like Chrono Trigger is such a like sacred and known game that like touching it in any way could cause some alarm. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm open to seeing what it would look like. I just think the, the other thing, too, is that a lot of that game is from kind of like an overhead view. Not that you couldn't do that in this engine, but it seems to be more of like a like it seems to be better at recreating something like akin to Final Fantasy VI, where it's more of a horizontal perspective. Mm. Mm. but uh we'll see what happens i know what you mean i i think you'll be surprised actually at some of the some of the environments in live alive because one, one of the things about the development of this game that's so interesting is that they they just like handed it off to a bunch of different like superstar people at square to take on each of the seven individual stories so a lot of them play very 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 differently from one another and have like very different vibes and tones and even art direction in some cases as well there's definitely a cohesion to the whole game but but you can tell like the imperial china section is very vertical reminds me a lot of chrono trigger and then the wild west one is like very horizontal because you're just like in a town um, right right it's that uh, makes sense it's cool there's like one where you're like a robot and you're just like problem solving uh in the future there's a- another one where um you're a shinobi trying to like sneak into a-, a castle in in japan um and like the whole idea is to not get into combat so you're like hiding all the time you can fight but like you shouldn't and every time you kill somebody it like has a counter of how many people you've killed it's cool man it's a cool game really really wild stuff going on there I think it's also interesting to bring this up after our conversation about remakes. And like, this is a case where like, it's a game that never got released here and is now being kind of presented in this new way, kind of similar to Dragon Quest V in some ways where like that was never released Mm. here. Yeah. And we got the incredible DS remake, which is why I think I'm less like 100% set on if I think this would be a good way to remake Chrono Trigger, because I think again, like we did get it. You know, I think a lot of people yeah. here have played it already personally. And again, this is all subjective, but I feel like if 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 they were to remake Chrono Trigger, I would much rather see them do it in a FF7 remake way. Not necessarily in terms of like graphical fidelity, but like I'd rather them just try something really modern and new with it than just try to recreate the retro style we already got. Because it's like, how do you one up that? How do you like one up what is the still the gold standard for that style of presentation? I would rather see them like adapt, like, and I don't even know how well that would work, but I would rather just see like a fresh take of that idea 
versus just we're not going to port the game so here's like a weird shiny remaster for $60 you mm-hmm. know like that that mm-hmm. to me is like I'm not saying that's what you're saying they're going to do but that's that's what I see in my head is like I don't know if I want that I mean that is kind of what I'm saying they're going to do uh, yeah. <laughs> if I'm being honest and yeah after having played what I've played of Live Alive, if it is on this caliber, and I feel like it would be because I know people would like revolt if it wasn't, <laughs> I, I think that this is the only avenue through which I would be like, yes, remake it instead of port it. I think they should port it. I'm with you. Like I would I would prefer that also and maybe even like have both available. Kind of like the Chrono Cross remaster has the ability to like turn on the original graphics in a way. If if they were to do it in this engine, I think it would be done with a reverence where uh, I, I would be pretty happy with it. Um, but I, I agree with you. There is that like, you know, pretty hard nostalgia factor. And I, I think that even having just played it earlier this very year, um, <laughs> I would play it again with the original graphics if they just put it on the switch. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. But I, I think if you were to do it in this engine with this kind of visual fidelity and this kind of um, care, it would work really well. I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling it's coming down the line. I think I'll feel differently maybe once I play Live Alive. I think you will. Because th- that's the thing I keep thinking w- while we're talking about this is like as soon as you start playing it, you're going to be like, oh my God, yes, do it. <laughs> I think yeah, you're going yeah, yeah. to like call somebody and try and green light it yourself. Um, <laughs> do you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> Put Frog on, on a weird axis and make him shiny. <laughs> um <laughs> We'll see if it happens. <laughs> we'll see. You want to take one more break and come back and talk about one more video game? Yeah, speaking of a frog on a weird axis, I'm very excited <laughs> to talk about the next game. See you soon. Goodbye. Bye. And we are back. And we are talking about yet another 3DS game. I also, I'm not going to talk about them all today. Don't worry. <laughs> but I do want to say out loud that I have like panic hoarded so many 3ds games yeah same independent of our potential patron bonus with the with the store going down this is something we've been saying for years like i feel like we've been weird prophets of doom with the 3ds it is like (laughs) the de facto like platform for game preservation for nintendo when we did the pokemon crystal bonus like you can get it on 3ds for like less than ten dollars the fact that that's all going away is very sad and there's also a lot of digital only stuff on the 3ds store including two phoenix wright games now i fully expect capcom to eventually back those up because they've been pretty good at porting that series everywhere but i'm not gonna risk it also both of those phoenix wright games uh dual destinies and spirit of justice i believe are currently on sale for five dollars each so if you have a 3ds i haven't played them i don't know if they're any good i'm sure they i'm sure they are but uh they they are now currently on sale for five dollars um yeah. so i would recommend doing that and there's also even more digital only stuff that i'm sure we'll bring to the show eventually i'll be surprised to see if nintendo themselves actually discount their own stuff towards the end of the life cycle of the eShop as well a lot of stuff is on sale it's all like third party though you know like i like if you wanted to get super mario 3d world that game is still what like full not full price because i think it's a nintendo select now right so it's like 20 bucks yeah i think it was 20 dollars. it was a blur purchases and honestly most of them were like five dollars or less so i was like yes add to cart add to cart add to cart yeah, yeah, or yeah. in the 3ds case add to the slowly downloading present box that i will download later and then unwrap anyway i have been revisiting some old favorites i actually went to my favorite retro store recently and i also picked up a bunch of 3ds games i got dream drop distance kingdom hearts very excited to finally play that which i have two copies of somehow (laughs) you got a dream drop you know i've never even played it i don't know how i have two copies of it anyway i got that i got monster hunter 4 ultimate edition very excited to play that dude that game is so fucking good we should play that together we should 
And I also got Yokai Watch. Hell and yeah. the game we're talking about in this section, physical copy of Animal Crossing New Leaf Welcome Amiibo Edition. That's nice. what it's called, right? The subtitle? It is, yeah. We talked about New Leaf a lot on this show, uh, going back to Games of the Decade. Uh, that was one of your favorite games of the decade. Animal Crossing just means a lot to both of us, especially you. New Horizons was a big deal for the world. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and also us. <laughs> So, you know, uh-huh. we've talked a lot about it, and I think New Leaf was a really fascinating entry in this series because I think it really marked a turning point in how much control the player has over their town or just the, the setting of Animal Crossing in general. Because in Animal Crossing on GameCube and Wild Worlds, you really only have control over your debt and your home. Like, you can decorate your house, and you can pay Tom Nook to upgrade your house, And you can Mm -hmm. take care of your town, like you can plant trees, you can pull weeds out, but that's really it. It's more about you are a citizen, you are not in a position of power. New Leaf, uh, just for those who don't know, you are the mayor of your town. You show up in this town and people assume you're the mayor, which is so funny. Uh, I can't remember if Tortimer, the actual mayor, planned this or not, but he's essentially not wanting to be mayor and you're mayor instead. So slowly but surely, you get a little bit more agency over the town. You can like choose where to build bridges and like, you know, there's a little bit uh, more features and more control over the town. You can't like terramorph and, you know, do everything like you can in New Horizons. There's no crafting, but you do have a little bit more say on like what happens in this place. Mm -hmm. I don't really know if I've talked a lot about my history with this game, but I I will briefly if you don't mind. Yeah, please. So New Leaf, I got right when it came out. Uh, It came out in 2012, I believe. But I think I I remember playing it mostly right after I graduated college in 2013. And that was a time where I feel like I really needed a semblance of schedule and routine. Because even though I was like extremely busy, I think anyone, you know, in that time of their life, there's a lot of uncertainty and doubt going on (laughs) where you're like trying to figure out like, what do I do? I have like eight jobs that aren't paying me anything. Uh, You know, who am I? So all that's going on. And New Leaf was like such a comforting game in that summer post-graduating. And uh, my friend Mark, if you're listening, uh, hello. Uh, Mark and I played that game a lot together. Um, He was actually, at at the time, he was sort of like my 3DS friend, where like we also played Awakening together. I think Mm. I convinced him to get a 3DS. So like that was the beginning of my nefarious influence on people, making them (laughs) buy video games that I like. But regardless, like that was mostly like my multiplayer experience with New Leaf was with my friend who had it that summer as well. And I do think Animal Crossing can sometimes live or die depending on how many friends are playing it. So I had like that summer. And then once like I moved back home temporarily and was interning in New York and like had all these weird part time jobs and like all these like seeds of opportunity that I was wondering if any of them were going to like become something. And I was always in Secaucus Junction. Like the the animosity our show has to Secaucus Junction is directly born out of this year of my life (laughs) where I was just constantly waiting in Secaucus, like, you know, Tom Stoppard play. So (laughs) playing New Leaf on, on the train and just like at friends' houses and stuff was really cool, but it was also a very solitary experience for me. And eventually, I remember I moved to Chicago and Smash Brothers had just come out and everyone had it. That was like one of the few 3DS games where like everyone suddenly had a 3DS. Everyone wanted to play 3DS online uh, and I needed to free up space in my 3DS. So I, I, I bid a heartfelt farewell to my town, deleted it to make space for Smash Brothers, and I downloaded 
Smash Brothers, not knowing that even though I deleted my New Leaf Town, the save data was still there. Yeah. Fast forward eight years later when we're doing our fun DS prep episode. I also get a giant SD card now that I know that that's like why I ran out of room, which was silly to not realize at the time, but I wasn't very tech savvy in 2013. I now have a giant SD card for my 3DS. I can get all the games I want, not worry about space. And I re-download New Leaf and I'm like, let's start over. That'll be fun. Everyone in the town is like freaked out that I'm back. They think I'm a ghost. They were like, we thought our mayor abandoned us. Someone was like, I don't care if I never see you again. I'm relishing today. Like Steven's here (laughs) right now. It was like a little (laughs) surreal. And like, you know, people being scared that I was back and like so relieved. And they're like, it's been eight years. Town's full of weeds. I felt so guilty. Yeah. Um, So I was like, okay, like maybe this is like, maybe now my mission is to like rebuild this town. You know, I've I've had my heel turn eight years ago, but I'm back. But it was too much. So I, I was like, let me, let me like actually start over and just like you know we've talked a lot about owning physical media i was like i love this game enough to want a physical copy of it Mm -hmm. i don't want this to be a fleeting thing anymore i want to really have a town so i bought the physical game and i started over i made a town originally called secan and it was cool but then i arrived at town and like my villagers were just awful like let me be clear (laughs) i have and have kept bardo on my new horizons island for years I am a firm believer that you need a threat on your island. You need one villager that you actively are either scared by (laughs) or don't like. It uplifts everything else. It's the secret ingredient of a good Animal Crossing island. If you don't have that looming darkness, everything feels too saccharine. But everyone in the town was Bardo-esque. My most bubbly villager was a mouse named Limburg who had a five o'clock shadow and went like, like everyone had that voice. I was like, I don't want to live here. This is a game that's supposed to be relaxing and like you know check in every now and then if, and if everyone is like shit blah, 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 i'm like i don't want to no secan is is a cursed place so i, I deleted it and started smash over smash the eject button yeah, yeah. <laughs> i should even delete it because i didn't save so i just started over thankfully i got back and uh now my town is called puddle uh it's a very harsh character limit on your town so i wanted it to be something relating to water and i wanted it to be something like simultaneously self-deprecating but also kind of cozy Puddle Mm -hmm. just felt perfect. So I'm now the mayor of Puddle and I love my villagers. I have Kid Cat. I've got Cookie the dog. I've got Diana. But I also have uh, two penguins, Boomer and Tex, who are like on the verge of Bardo energy. Um, (laughs) Boomer calls me human and is always in like pilot's gear. So like there's a good dynamic. Like You've got the nice Cookie the dog and then you've got Boomer the penguin. So all this to say, returning to New Leaf has been one of the best experiences I've had in recent memory. It is immediately such a great entry in this series. I love New Horizons. I think New Horizons is, it totally lives up to the success that it has. It helped us through the early days of a global pandemic that has continued. And it also is just like an incredible game and and adds so much to the series in terms of gameplay and like what you can do. And in many ways is sort of the ultimate Animal Crossing experience. But New Leaf is different enough and is focused on different things that I actually think they're equally good games. And I remember like 
I want to say like three months after New Horizons came out, there was this growing sentiment that like the game was incomplete and that New Leaf was better in every way. And like people were kind of like dismissing New Horizons as an entry and like, you know, think whatever you want. Like you can prefer one over the other. I always just sort of felt it was a little weird to like what I saw from that is like everyone has played this game for 300 hours in two weeks and like you're burnt out. You know, yeah, you chased every fox and then they doubled the size of the island. <laughs> yes, exactly right. I do think, though, that there are things about New Horizons that aren't as well done as they are in New Leaf. I think the most noticeable is just the interactions with the villagers. I yeah, think totally. New Horizons focus on the island itself. Like the whole game is sort of about unlocking agency over the island. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing more of it, being able to to claim more resources from it, uh, design it, control it, all that sort of stuff until you have like the actual space you want. I think it does do a great job, like slowly giving you more control over it. But even in like your first day on the island, like I remember getting that game and wanting to talk to the two villagers that they started me with. And they basically said the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And that is kind of like it's an issue when you play the game for at least 300 hours because you're going to eventually see the same dialogue over and over again. But even just like from my first couple hours in New Leaf, you get a much stronger sense of like, these are other people who live here and they're not just also decorations on the island. I do think that there's something a little bit soulless in New, not soul, it's a bit harsh, but I do think there's something about New Horizons where the villagers feel like they're just part of the island. Like they're another thing that you wanted and you kept for the aesthetic value of this place. Mm-hmm. Whereas New Leaf, because you don't really have direct control over like who moves or who stays, like it does feel like you're the leader of a town that like is going to respond to your actions. And like it's not like in depth dialogue, but I do feel like I have to work a little bit more for the relationships to be good. Like I have to get an approval rating from the villagers they asked me to do things for them i do think that that leads to a richer experience in terms of like feeling part of the place rather than simply creating a place to be in if that makes sense wow that was a lot and uh really filled my heart with so much joy (laughs) that was a lot of nice things about one of my favorite games ever yeah Uh, so i all that to say i i do (laughs) I do now kind of understand why people say that New Leaf is the... I mean, I don't agree with that like sudden turn on New Horizons. Like, oh, this game sucks. And that that kind of happens to every game that blows up that big. We're seeing yeah. it now with Elden Ring even, where this is like not quite to the same degree as Animal Crossing, but there is this growing sense of like, oh, it actually wasn't that good. And yeah. it's like, again, you know, think critically, <laughs> whatever, but there's it happens every time. Every time something hits this level of success, there's right. that turn that happens like three to four months after release. So I reject that because New Horizons is an incredible experience. And like it really takes playing both games on a long term level to really spot the differences. But I do think New Leaf, I do wonder the more I play it, if that's going to be just like the one I check in on, because I do think it's also more built to check in. It feels more like, a, oh, I'll play this like when I wake up or before I go to bed versus New Horizons, which felt like I want to do everything. And then I suddenly just stop playing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I feel exactly the same way. No notes, honestly. <laughs> um, for for real, though, I mean, I, I have been grappling with that for a long time because New Leaf was I mean, I, I actually just while you were talking before, I was scrolling backwards through my own Instagram because I remember posting when I got my copy of, of New Leaf in the mail because they sent it to me release day before I had gotten my 3DS. Even I had ordered a 3DS and New Leaf and, and the 3DS showed up like a couple days after the copy of New Leaf. So like I, I really was like I got a 3DS to play that game and 
I just remember having it with me during this like really tumultuous part of my life where I was working at a Starbucks. I was also working like my first office job because like I didn't go to college and I was like, I need to like have something on my resume that's like office related. So people know that I'm like, I guess a person who can work in an office. I don't know. That was as much as I had thought about it, but I was, I was working two jobs essentially. And, and I was working opening and closing at Starbucks on Saturdays and Sundays, and then a nine to five office job Mondays through Fridays. And I was just like, so fucking burnt out. Um, but the really only thing I had going for me was that I had a 3ds in my pocket that also had new leaf in it at all times. So like any free moment I had, I would just like jump into the island and run around. And I jumped into the game again this week for the first time in a long time. Um, I had I had at some point gone and erased my island and started again. But I, I've been playing it again this week because you had mentioned that you were playing it and found so quickly myself wrapped up in it in that quick check in way that you're talking about in in what I feel is like optimal is maybe not the right word, but kind of like the optimal way that I want to interact with Animal Crossing which is that like 30 minute spurts every once in a while when when it suits me and having it on a DS specifically like this foldable handheld that I can have in my pocket or in a pocket of my backpack or like charging next to my my bed on on the bedside table or something that to me feels like the way I always want to be interacting with this franchise specifically and i've just been wrapped up in it ever since i mean i i I have been like you checking in with it every single day uh this week which has been so nice uh in a way that i don't feel super compelled to with new horizons which again not to keep saying this but i think it's worth i think it's worth continuing to say like that game is incredible that game is unbelievable it's it's such a fucking good entry and and to even be comparing it this closely against new leaf i think says so much about the successes of that game but i do think for me new leaf is the one definitely also um you know my history with it sure but even just i think even the way progression works in new leaf is interesting this idea of having this like kind of town center thing above your island that you're like constantly evolving and upgrading is really cool and interesting adding new shops to the way the way the the nook shop evolves over time is really fun and a weird thing that i kind of miss in new horizons that there's only like one upgrade for the nook shop and then it never goes past that it's kind of a bummer actually because i love the different variations of the nook shop that you get in all of the other games and then like honestly some of the online features are really cool and interesting and weird too like that whole area up up in the top where you can like see other people's houses and stuff is so strange yeah Um, and and, like street pass with people and like add to these plots of land is so weird and like something that'll never happen again because like who's street passing anyone in 2022 (laughs) um yeah but uh yeah there, there are just so many interesting things and yet there are moments in which i'm playing new leaf and like i for example weird happenstance but this morning i woke up first thing i did was i opened up new leaf to see what was going on and isabel was like hey as of today you've been mayor here for four years let's have like a whole little ceremony which was wild and she gave me this present and i didn't know what the present was because she doesn't say in the ceremony but you know they gather all your villagers and a couple people who work in the shops and they like do this whole ceremony where you're all like doing party poppers and stuff and then uh afterwards i was like oh let me see what this item is and i unwrapped it and it was like a clock or something i forget what it was um and i was like let me see what this looks like and i went to go drop it on the ground because new horizons has so like drilled into my head that items can just go anywhere that i dropped it on the ground it was just like the sprite for an item sitting on the ground i was like oh shit what a huge revelation it is in new horizons that you can just throw items wherever you want so i don't know 
there, there's a give and take here and there. There are some things that I, I, I like about each game, but I, I do think like you. And again, part of it comes down to a thing that I bring up fucking constantly is like, I just think that the 3DS hardware feels more compatible for handheld play and, and something that's portable that I want to take with me than the, than the switch does. So new horizons, I played mostly like on the TV, which is not how I like to play animal crossing, but I mean, it's a fucking great game. It's awesome. I can get, I can get Majora's mask and I can wear it. (laughs) I also like Isabel's role in this game. I forgot that she's like kind of like nervous and like, like she's a very different character in new leaf than in uh, new horizons. Like New Horizons, she's like fully on board with like the Nook 1%, like drinking the Kool-Aid of like corporate power. And here she's like a nervous assistant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think like going back to like them both being great games, for me, it's like, do you want to be playing Stardew Valley or Minecraft? Where it's like, I think one game is focused on mm, yeah. community and on being part of a place. So you still have like agency over like what you're doing and what you're investing in, but it really is like you're part of that place. Whereas in Minecraft, like you're creating the whole thing. So I don't think one is inherently better than the other, but it's really like, what do you want to be playing? And Animal Crossing, I think now has this kind of fork in the road where I'm really curious, like what will come next? I do think New Horizons like post that 2.0 update and folding in Happy Home Designer, which is like maybe the best Animal Crossing game. I really was blown away by how much fun I had with that that DLC. Yeah. Did you ever make it to the end of that? I haven't yet. No, I've oh been I've been I actually it. cried. <laughs> but that's also like they show like how many games you can kind of make within New Horizons. Yeah. Like I remember there was one Earth Day event where it was um the cat who talks to you on the train in the older games. Forgot his name. Rover? Yeah, it's Rover. Um, Rover like traps you in a maze and like it's essentially like a puzzle game where like they only give you certain tools and you have to like make your way out. Like there's a whole logic in this game that can be manipulated just by structuring things a certain way that makes it a different game. I think Happy Home Designer, you know, gamifies just the interior decorating of Animal Crossing, kind of removes everything else and is like, okay, if you just want to decorate and like make homes for these characters for them to live in, almost like The Sims, Mm -hmm. um, that's really cool. I mean, there's so many elements going on in that game i i just wonder like what the few i mean it feels like they're probably done updating new horizons and i think that that final update is sort of like a forever update in some ways where it's like here's kind of everything you'll need in this game for the next you know decade infinity yeah uh, but i just wonder like what direction the series can go in because i think like after new horizons short of being like an actual deity you can't have more control over the place so i do wonder if there's like are we going to see smaller entries like happy home designer kind of like more singularly focused on one aspect or the other mm-hmm. yeah or another um what was that uh amiibo festival that like board game spin-off they made on the yeah. wii u uh, city folk too yeah all that have been said i have not played the original happy home designer on the 3ds and now i feel like really compelled to because of how much i loved the uh yeah the one for new horizons so i might i might check that out and see what that's all about yeah maybe one day but yeah new leaf still i mean i think if you're someone who got into animal crossing through new horizons and you have a 3ds would highly recommend checking out new leaf just to see yeah. if you prefer one over the other because i think they're they're equally strong entries and i like you i think i'm a little bit a little bit more new leaf in my heart of hearts. Yeah. And again, it just comes down to the hardware, Um, which not to say that the 3DS is better hardware than the Switch, to be clear. But I think for Animal Crossing specifically, I think that the 3DS is better hardware than the Switch. Yeah. But uh, that's that's a whole other conversation for another day. (laughs) I also 
I think it has the better soundtrack too. And again, it might just be like it's fresh because I've played so Dude. many hundreds of hours. But like, there's something weirdly somber about New Leaf's soundtrack. The 7 p.m. song is like haunting. The town <laughs> music when you when you go yes. up to like the town strip yes. is like so beautiful. It's like maybe the best Animal Crossing song. Yeah, 1 p.m. in New Leaf is maybe the best song <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. You <laughs> could play a little bit of it in the episode as like an outro or something. That could be fun. Okay. But uh, yeah, so that's all I got on New Leaf. Maybe I'll bring it again. Maybe we can revive uh, Living a Little, but with New Leaf, you know? Oh, yeah. But we'll see what happens. But I, I'm sure it will come up again in some capacity. So that's my current uh, experience with an old favorite. That sounds great. Let's uh, let's close out the episode to the sound of 1 p.m. <laughs> In my head, I was singing 3 a.m. by Matchbox 20, but with 1 p.m. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Cool. Should we sign off? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Intothecast.online is our hub for everything. Places to listen to the show. Writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify also helps us out a lot. We also have a Patreon. Links to the Patreon add into the cast that online like we said before we currently have a goal of when we hit two thousand dollars per month we will do a 3ds centric episode i promise us bringing up 3ds a lot in recent days is not us trying to upsell that episode it's just truly where our heart is right now um so you know whenever we hit that goal we will make that happen but i also think that 3ds stuff is just going to come up because honestly a big incentive is like that store going down we want to be able to highlight stuff before it goes away forever so like you know, there's a little bit of urgency there for us, I think. Yeah. But uh, if you back the Patreon, you get access to all our patron episodes. The $1 tier is to get access to that RSS feed. $5 gets you access to the Airtable, which is our database of every episode. So you can type in Animal Crossing New Horizons and see the eight plus episodes that, that has come up in, <laughs> uh, including a bonus that was a hybrid of that and Persona 5 Royal, uh, one of our more experimental bonuses, I think. Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, anything on the horizon we're excited about? Anything you're looking forward to coming out? Or playing more of or you know anything on that front uh 14 episodes we talked about animal crossing new horizons and are you serious l- looking at the air table yep wow i guess 15 if you count this one <laughs> whoops uh worth also mentioning that uh we did recently release for patrons uh, a follow-up to the nintendo ds episode yes that you can go check out that just like includes a bunch of other games that we didn't get the chance to talk about in the initial season premiere uh, and wanted to like double back and talk about and also answered a bunch of questions i think that episode is great some of the questions that you guys sent in were awesome so thank you all so much for for sending those questions in that's a that's a cool episode what am i going to play in the future honestly i think just like a lot more live alive i think a lot more yakuza zero and like you i've just been like really flying through uh the 3ds shop and been playing a lot of stuff that i'm like really loving um finally playing box boy which i'll i might talk about yeah eventually. i picked that up yeah it's a game that i'm like really kicking myself for not checking out sooner and a couple other things here and there that i kind of i think want to save for a future episode cool very exciting on that note where can people find you online and what's your name <laughs> whoa uh well they can find me at brendan bigley on the internet and my name is also that believe it or not my name is also brendan bigley you can find me at stephen hilger and my name is also stephen hilger amazing wow look at that weird happenstance i'm the mayor of puddle i may or may not have deleted three towns before my current (laughs) mayordom but that's okay we all make mistakes and uh, that's all i got for you my town is called infinity can we visit each other still or is that no longer yeah i think we can we should we should visit each other. We should Hello, visit mayor. Each other. Hello, mayor. Are you also the mayor? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show, as always, as usual, and uh, a shorter one today. A shorter one, yeah. We will see you next week. Talk to you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Love ya.